champ is here. We will definitely not shut up and dribble. The champ is here. I must be the greatest. The champ is here. I'm going to continue to stand with the people. The champ is here. I will, I will not, not, not lose. lose. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with we. My name is EJ, and I got my man. MH. Yes, he's the DB of the show, and we are Black in Sports. Giving a voice to the culture that won't shut up and dribble. Here interviewing the best professionals in the game and in the boardroom. Covering it all, laughing it all, while providing a platform to be heard. So, you know how we do it about this time. I want to welcome our special guest today, uh, CEO of the Global Sports Institute and the Adidas Distinguished professor of global sports. Yeah, you like how I put that emphasis on that, right? <laughs> At Arizona State University. His mission is to use sport to create a positive change. So please clap it up and let's welcome Kenneth Shropshire. Close, right? <laughs> close, close. You dropped a couple letters. That's all right. <laughs> hey, how we start this show again is we always ask our guests to give us a shoot your shot moment. So this could have been just a quick story or or a time where you went for it all, you gambled on yourself. It could have been early on um, in your early playing days. It could have been, you know, now in life. But just a shoot-your-shot moment. You could have won or you could have lost, but it was still a shoot-your-shot moment. Man, I, I should have read the show notes. Uh, I, I thought about this a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I mean, it's not even sports-related so much. It, it was uh, a move to Philadelphia about 35 years ago, I'd been basically an LA guy and had an opportunity to go to Philly to University of Pennsylvania to be a professor. And I'd been out of law school for seven years, kind of late in the game to change careers. I had been uh, rejected by Penn Law School earlier in life. And this opportunity came up. So I said, let me try it for a couple of years. And it ended up being uh, 32 years. I'm the guy that said he would never leave LA. There you go. There <laughs> never you go. say never. Yeah. Mr. Kane, where, where, where did your love for sports start? Look at you, MH. You're not going to try the last name. So you see, you're gonna, but you're still going to put Mr. I'm, on I'm going to put Mr. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm going to be respectful. I'll put your names too. I'm, I, I, know where my, I know where my easy wins are. So. <laughs> you know what? Um, uh, you know, I, I like so many, for that older brother, three years older, and, uh, Sports was always part of the house, and we grew up playing all the time. I, I can't, you know, somebody asked me the other day, and I, I, you know, I think I always wanted to be a professional athlete. That was like started early on in life. Uh, I, I was blessed to have uh, both parents in the house. My father was actually the uh, the doctor, you know, one of the doctors in South Central L.A., so we were in the community, but we were never, you know, financially um, in any any bad shape anyway if you if you move to uh, another neighborhood and and uh got some uh other situations we might have more money but but he kept, he kept us there uh in a way that i that i appreciate looking back on but but sports was always there it was uh uh and i was fortunate enough to to be okay you know i, I ended up with a, a football scholarship to stanford and and uh uh, you know, it, it's, it was just something I couldn't shake, even, even with what I'm doing now. I mean, I ended up kind of being a professor and, and lawyer and all this stuff in sports because I was just trying to find a way to stay involved in sports throughout. 
So I know you're involved with sports, a, a lot of sports, from volleyball to football to you name it. Uh, what were some other sports? I know football was one that you got to receive scholarship in. What was the sports that you competed in? Well, you looking back, wasn't good at anything. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I'm here's the odd one. You know, we, uh, uh, you know, you get older, you start moving around, and you offloading trophies and that sort of stuff that, that you got from when you were a kid. And you know, when you, especially when you're trying to make your kids offload their stuff. You know, my kids are now almost. 30 years old, but we still carrying around this stuff. So at one point we were trying to get rid of everything. And I found this bowling trophy <laughs> that mm -hmm. I won. Uh, and I was actually in a, uh, uh, a bowling league at some like junior high school. And I ended up, there was a, in Los Angeles. So this is, you know, whatever I say, I was like city something. I was <laughs> sixth in the city uh, for some age group thing in bowling. And I had this, I still have the trophy. I mean, plastic with wood, but it's, you know, one of those go yeah. painted plastic things. <laughs> um, but that that was one, you know, and, and forever. And actually, when I got to Stanford, there was another brother who uh, was a big time bowler uh, from Oregon. And uh, he, he was much better, better than I was. We talked about that. If we had focused on, on bowling, you know, what what could have happened instead of the football thing? Now, now, do you get on the lanes now, or is that is that something that you retired? I know you still got your bag and shoes. <laughs> no, nobody retires you know them. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if you guys have been through this phase. As you know, my brother and I were going back <laughs> to clean out a parent's house and stuff. That was one of the things I was looking for. That ball with with with, uh, with uh, you know Black Beauty. I think it was Black Beauty ball <laughs> with uh, Kenny stamped on there. I, uh -huh. I had my ball with my name on it, Kenny, and. Uh, uh, I don't know where that thing is. <laughs> <laughs> so getting awards and trophies all through high school. So, you know, the famed Dorsey High School, right? Right. So Hall of Fame. So did you, did you not get it in bowling? What did you Hall of Fame for? You know what? I, 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 I say this now looking back. It's funny. Uh -huh. and, and you don't spend a whole lot of time doing this. I was miscast as a, uh, as a center. I was, I was, uh, and, and, you know, you get a lot more credit for playing center now than you did then. I mean, center yeah. was then center. Don't let anybody fool you. Centers were not calling the plays then. <laughs> I mean, the only obligation. Not calling the coverage or the block. No, not calling the coverage, <laughs> not who's the mic. None of that, none of that stuff was center doing then. At least they, they didn't have me do it. Maybe other centers were, but you know, you just guard guards were calling between tackles and themselves, but not, you know, not, not the center. And you, uh, you know, I remember I had been, you know, as a kid, we all kind of knew what we played. I was not a quarterback. I couldn't throw, but I was always kind of a running back or I fashioned myself as a tight end, you know. Okay. And I mean, the first day of practice, the, the coach said, uh, you have long legs, go be a center. And I, you know, I'm a kid saying, well, I want to play. If this is what the coach says I should play, I should play. And it turned out it was, was, was pretty good. Uh, ended up being all league, all city, all this stuff, and got recruited by a bunch of places and uh, ended up going to Stanford, which, you know, again, you know, real history is important. Yeah. Stanford's got this glorious kind of reputation now as this academic place with with uh, intellectual brutality for the, you know, for the team, the players and kind of stuff. David Shaw talks about them. Stanford had gone to the Rose Bowl, I think the 71 and 72, the first two two years in a row before I got there. So to me, it was more of a football kind of move than 
than anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, again, thinking I was going to play, but the, you know, the crest tell my wife today, you know, we, we were, she, she was the more, uh, uh, successful athlete in the family, her, my son, my daughter too. I'm the worst athlete in the family, but that's that's that's, that's, a, that's a whole other story too. But but I had, um, you know, I, I had uh, thought at the time, yeah, I, I was really good. I, I was no question in my mind I was going to play. And you know, I look back at I got a you know, picture behind me. I got a picture of, of kind of the other guys on offensive line. And at, at in, the, in the moment, you know, this race thing. Is something else, and for whatever reason, and I went to all you know Dorsey High School, you know all black high school. I end up at this in the group of offensive linemen, all all white guys, and I, but I knew I was going there, but I didn't think mm -hmm. in, in you know that no, you're not <laughs> you're good enough to play. They're not letting you play because you're a brother. I mean, I I, really, I didn't I didn't let myself go that far with it. Right. And I just kept kept going at it, and and now you know as as I try to flashback and clean up my life and see why things didn't go the way they went. I said, you know, there might have been something going on back then that I just really didn't want to let get in the way of, of, of what I was trying to do. Wow. Speaking of uh, back then and, and, and doing some research uh, about you, and I feel very ignorant about the name change in Stanford. You mentioned that, you know, Stanford uh, uh, Indians, and now we know it as Stanford Cardinals. So going through that process, you know, tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy too, right? I mean it's, but in the moment, you know. So so again, through the early seventies, you guys aren't even born then. They were early seventies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was the Stanford Indians. Yeah. And when I was being recruited, uh, and when they were in the, those two Rose Bowls I mentioned, they were the Indians. Mm -hmm. And you know whatever crazy things you you have in your mind as a kid, I was like I I loved the colors, you know, the red and white, and the name I thought was was you know, kind of cool. And I, I'd been on a little league baseball team called the Indians. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the recruitment process or somewhere along the way, the coach said, Oh, by the way, you know, we're going to, we're going to change the name. And, you know, sidebar too, you know, Dorsey and the Dorsey still has the name, uh, the Dorsey Dons, which mm -hmm. is a, a Spanish landlord, land baron kind of person. But our mascot was, uh, a, a stereotypical sleepy Mexican with a sombrero, head down, that sort of thing. And you know, at the time, it was a bunch of black guys with this this that logo on our helmets. Didn't think anything about it. I mean, you know, looking for the coolest version of it. You know, I want mine. And you know, but I look back, and I actually actually wrote about this later in life. How uh, you know, ignorant we were. You know, as, as we watched the, uh, you know, when the Braves took the series. Watching that, you know, tomahawk chop and yeah, just the name and the chanting and stuff. I mean, to me, it's really, it's you know, it's, you know, it's, it's cringeworthy. Sure. And I just wonder, you know, and I give myself a little credit. That's you know, this is almost fifty years ago where I was that ignorant <laughs> that that I didn't realize how how terrible it was. But when we got to Stanford, we were a little bit stressed that they had had changed the name, and it, it took forever to end mm -hmm. up with the Cardinal. There was a student vote that came up with names that the administration didn't like. And we ended up uh, uh, as we are now. The, the color cardinal, nothing to do with the bird, just the color. Yeah, because you got a tree as a mascot. So tree yeah. as a mascot. Tree, see, sequoia and some other tree names were 
leaders in the, in the vote count. <laughs> so, <laughs> the administration wanted to go with that. So, of course, the, 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 the radical uh, rebellious students just came up with that mascot. <laughs> now, with that being your past and where you are now, which we're going to get into, um, do you still follow Stanford football and, and, and what they're doing up there? Um, you know, we definitely have some ties. We had a BK, uh, Brian Kelly, who was on the show, and his son now plays there. So shout out to uh, Caillou Blue. Um, do you follow? Do you keep up with them or support or kind of? Yeah, 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 I do. I do. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I talk to folks there uh, quite a bit. I, uh, you know, the, the kind of allegiance to, to Stanford, the current head coach, David Shaw, his father was on the staff when I was there. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one of the stories I, 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 I tell is that we, we all, there were seven or eight black guys on the team at the time. I mean, some of them, you know, Tony Hill, James Lofton, I mean, guys that, that were, you know, real, real players and me, <laughs> there were, but we had, you know, most, most of the guys were quarterbacks or converted quarterbacks. Tony was a quarterback. Lofton was a quarterback in high mm-hmm. school. Right. Um, and, uh, we all got recruited by this, the same guy, Bill Moultrie got passed away some years ago. Uh, he was, a, he was, I think he was Stanford's first black assistant coach and he left. And, and when my class came in, there were no black coaches on the staff, which is you know, kind of incredible to think about today. Yeah. Um, so we did kind of multiple, you know, protests and things trying to, trying to change that. Um, and actually, he doesn't he doesn't take credit, but, but but Ray Anderson, who's now the athletic director at Arizona State, was on, on that squad too, and he was kind of the leader of all that. And I, I'll never forget the day the the administration we we did stuff like you know, of course they would have us recruit all the you know black athletes, <laughs> yeah, right. <you know>, so, <laughs> right. so we would would have the guys come in. And we, you know, talk to them. So, okay, now on your exit interview with the head coach, tell them you're not going to come unless they have a black, black head, a black coach, a black coach. What you want me to say? What? Yeah, just, just say you, you know, want a black coach. And we did that over and over again. Guys cooperated, and we probably had the worst recruiting class ever as a result of that. But, but uh, at one point, the coaches said, oh, "Okay, stop, stop doing that. We're going to get a coach." And, and uh, next thing we knew. Willie Shaw was uh, uh, showed up at, at Ray Anderson's house, and we all met with him, and and uh, and there he was. So, so we take credit for David Shaw. That's all I'm saying. It's, it had, had it not been for our actions, then you know, uh, David would, would not be there. So yeah, oh, I'm, I'm very, uh, very you know, don't follow it as closely as I used to, and and don't know as many many guys as I used to, but but still in touch. Yeah, you you think David Shaw is. Uh... I can't say lifer, but you think he's there for a while or you think there's some other steps you think he makes in his career? You know, that's, I, I, I always think so, but you know, you, you never know. And, and he's, he's had a lot of money thrown at him. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure that Stanford finally stepped up and, and did much better. And uh, you know, he's, he's got, uh, I don't know where he is in the timeline of kids going to college and that sort of stuff. It's not a bad place to be, to have that connection for your kids sure. to, to go to school and, and, you know, and you've got the, the model uh, of, uh, you know, Tyrone Willingham, if Tyrone had stayed there for life, yeah. you know, what, what might his career ha- have been like, you know, and Tyrone's very, you know, very happy guy and did, did great things and, and would, and would you know, hopefully, I don't know, probably would have been done by now, but, but you never know. Yeah. So 
in your educational path, right? Because we're we're slowly slowly moving into you know the great things or works you that you've done. So economics degree, and then went on to be a lawyer. So what was the path? What was the thought process on you know getting your education and what you initially wanted to do or thought you wanted to do coming out? Yeah, no, again, <laughs> make it more sound more glorious than than it was. So. You know, and, and this is and when I talk to kids now about this kind of stuff, it really is, is so, so important. I, mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to be uh, I used to joke and say I wanted to be be O.J. Simpson only to the extent of oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was. Let me let me finish that sentence. Yeah. Don't, don't stop me mid sentence now <laughs> that he was this great you know, Hall of Fame football career. And then he became a broadcaster. I mean, that was, you know, then that was. That was OJ, OJ we knew uh, back then. And then when the, you know, the f- football part for me started falling apart, you know, that that was less feasible. But also the, the thing that I tell young people, you know, when we went to Stanford, I, I think I said I wanted to major in journalism and Stanford at the time didn't even have a journalism degree. I mean, I hadn't even looked that, that deeply, deeply into it to, to know that. Okay. And, and once I found out that was the case, a lot of guys on the team, uh, were majoring in economics, so I ended up taking a class and said, "Okay." And I think you know, I think I might have been trying to say, "Well, maybe I need to major in business." And of course, Stanford didn't have a business degree either, so he kind of became the kind of the closest thing. And uh, uh, you know, and it's funny too. I, I you know, I did not. You know, I was one of those guys I, I could do well in school uh, by kind of doing the basic work and doing the homework and, and coming. And then you get to Stanford, it became a whole different thing. It was, it was much more difficult. And I did, did not have first kind of year grades were reflective of the transition <laughs> I was going through. That first and, year transition, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. Well, but but then, you know, when it became, you know, I had, I had the famous meeting after spring ball with uh, the head coach then, Jack Christensen, who, who said, I mean, you think about things they say to you as a, as a kid. Here I am, a eight, 18, 19-year-old kid sophomore and i go in excited about my end of spring ball meeting the guy yeah i did okay i might be second maybe third string i don't know how this is gonna work out but you know i did okay <laughs> and he opens up the opening not i don't think i got a hell of a thing said uh you know you'll never start at stanford university okay. <laughs> you know so so whatever kind of uh, I think that's called abuse. Is that what they call that today? So, our <laughs> tra- uh, transfer portal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, transfer portal. <laughs> right, yet all. The, but then there, you know, that's now that stuff existed. Right. And but it was, you know, it was probably more of a, a runoff move. Let's get this guy scholarship yeah. against somebody else. And I remember saying, you know, again, you ask me something else, I'm drifting. You, you let me just lay down on the couch and let me. This is a psychological, you know, <laughs> kind of brain. So, hey, you're in the circle of trust. Just let yeah. it go. <laughs> so he, said, he says, uh, and you know, may he rest in peace. He's gone, so he can't can't refute this, the way this conversation went. So he says, uh, I, I said, I think I was just just stunned. I may not say anything. So, uh, and he may. I think he actually used the word. So, you know, so what what are you going to do? And I said. Uh, and he said, you'll never start at center at Stanford University. I said, well, it sounds like I need to change positions. That was my response. <laughs> and he said, you're not understanding what I'm saying. <laughs> I said, no, I'm understanding. <laughs> so 
I ended up switching to to uh, to linebacker, linebacker at, yeah. at that point. Yeah, and and uh, and by the time I figured out how to play linebacker, but you know, I'm I'm graduating. By the time I figured it out, and it was it was time time to be done. So, you know, I, that, that was kind of a, a pretty clear message in any event. Even though I I you know stayed out there for the money <laughs> for the most part, and I ended up doing a lot of things that you know a lot of guys uh, chose not to do. Although at that time. You kind of had the option to do it. I, I went to an overseas campus um, um, <laughs> in lieu of spring ball and, and kind of summer <laughs> training. But, you know, as long as I showed up, so I showed up in the fall and, you know, it was a, a whole mess for, for kind of a couple of years of kind of being out there and being out there enough for, for uh, them not to be able to take my, take my stuff away. So, uh, but but that's what the transit. You can see in my transcript, you see the transition where I said, "Okay, this isn't gonna work. I better figure out this school thing." Mm-hmm. And um, so econ became the thing. And and then it was a moment where um, athletes were starting to use lawyers as as agents. I mean, it's kind of a, you think about it. You had to. It really was starting to ramp up then. So I said, oh, "Well, I could do that." So I ended up uh, applying to law school, and. I ended up not just any law school, but yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not just any law school, but yeah, okay, applying to law school. (laughs) You know, and and I hadn't, I wasn't something I thought about all my life, but I, I, uh, so I ended up at at, at Columbia. And, um, (laughs) you know, the irony of that, Columbia was probably, you know, you would think that I'd be thinking about Nebraska or Oklahoma or something like that. But if I hadn't gone to Stanford, I probably would have gone to Columbia. I'd gotten, gotten recruited there, as you get recruited to an Ivy school. And I, so I always in the back of my head, especially as, as football problems erupted, I said, man, if I went to Columbia, I'd probably be, you know, and and this is before Marcellus Wiley. This is before you know, anybody yeah. really had any, any mm-hmm. success coming out of there. Um, so I ended up uh, going going to the law school, and, and you know, and, and that, that, was, that was the story. And it really, you know, and I'll tell you, too, it was – <laughs> Once again, I wasn't the greatest law student either, and it. it but it, you know, because I was still figuring out in some ways uh, how to be that that great student. And and it, one of the things that athletes will, will tell you is, uh, as soon as you stop playing, stop going to practice, you have a tremendous amount of time. Yeah. So I, I so I, I didn't really know how to study with that extra time or, or what to do with that extra time in New York City. Yeah, it wasn't so, studying that we did with that extra time. So <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because you, you're right, especially in, in my day, you'd have you know after spring ball is over, you kind of had this window of of, of yeah. nothing to do. So um, and and you know and, and, and usually my grades were better after after uh, spring spring ball was over with, but 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 not always. But to have no practice at all, nothing in the way was was a whole new, you know, no new phenomenon. So that that's you know so that's how I ended up uh, in law school, and I went to law school specifically to find a way to work work in sports. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to get stuck in this part and, and hit it, but I talk about we talk about student athletes a lot and the benefits of college a lot on this show, um, and I, I guess the term student athlete has kind of <laughs> evolved over time, obviously mm-hmm. with. And changing a little it bit changed, more right. with new rules. So not not get into that, but what is it about your upbringing and about your makeup uh, kind of helped you recognize where you were at at the time, athletically in the field? Sometimes that's a tough spill to swallow uh, as a young <laughs> athlete. But to make that transition into life, yeah. like, hey, I got to get these books done and I got to look at stuff beyond the field. What, what was it in your makeup that allowed you to do that? Yeah. 
Well, I still haven't swallowed it. I appreciate you thinking that I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm now mentally stable. <laughs> you on the couch all night tonight. Yeah. All night tonight. Let's go. <laughs> we, we about to around yeah, some things right now. <laughs> no, I I can. You're 66, seven years over, and I can still have that dream or wake up and think about if I had or what I could have done. I'm you telling hear, you. You hear me talking about. Columbia, if I got into Columbia, well, Marcellus did it. Maybe I, you know, found. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, so so that's. I don't think that stuff ever ever goes away. But I, I will tell you, that without without question, it, it's. Uh, you know, my parents were were huge on education. They were uh, both, you know, HBCU lifers, um, uh, Johnson C. Smith and 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 Langston, and then my father and my mother was at Meharry for a while, so. Uh, education was a was a, a big thing, so they were always on, on the kids. I joke about how um, uh, successful I was not academically, but you know, I, I did did okay. I did the, I did the work, um, but I, I did not know how to study. That's really what I learned to do along the way, especially at, at Stanford. My, uh, you know, and Dorsey was was great. I mean, I know a lot of guys. You know, Keyshawn, a lot of guys come out of out of Dorsey kind of over, over time and Dorsey. Uh, I mean, it's, it, I'm sure you guys, you guys know it, it every, before Crenshaw was built, uh, everybody kind of from that neighborhood went to Dorsey, then Crenshaw was built and then it kind of split off. But, but I, I mean, I grew up with, you know, Marcus Johnson and Wendell Tyler kind of guys of that era. We were all in the same, same middle school, um, uh, Audubon junior high school. So a lot of people, James Harden came out. A lot of guys still come out, out of out of that that spot, um, but that's 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 what it was. I mean, it was really a, a you know I, I knew how important the academic piece was, and 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 the idea of being successful and, and figuring a way to be successful, and the idea of what education can can do. So I I, I knew that. So, um, but I didn't exactly always know how to execute it the right way. So I was just you know trying to find that track and. Uh, I could probably give some credit to some old girlfriends or something that, that, that <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking about it. I don't know how, who's in, who's, who's going to be watching this. So. <laughs> but I can think, you know, like the, the economics, I can, I can think about having problems with that, but the kind of help that I got from, uh, from fellow African-American students too, that were more successful and said, this is how, this is how you do it. I remember, uh, I took a sociology class. Uh, me and a, a, a brother that I got to Dorsey with the, the other guy to go to Stanford that year, and we were in the sociology class freshman mm-hmm. year. We didn't know what was going on. This guy was talking about stuff, theories, and and we didn't know. You know, they weren't handing out worksheets and stuff. This guy's just talking, and you're supposed to be watching everybody take notes. And we did. We'd never sat in a class like that. And these these two sisters came to us after class and said, "You brothers." Uh, how you doing? So, you know, <laughs> we got, showed him the notes. and said, uh, "No, this doesn't look like you. You have the right handle on stuff. Can you? You want to spend some minutes with us, and we'll tell you how to do this." And I'll never forget. I, I tell I tell students this all the time. They they said, "Okay, this is going to be a lot of work, but let's start off with this. At the end of each class, write down the three things that you learned." You start with that, and then they expanded kind of from there. But I said, don't, "Don't try to write down everything. Just start off with three, and then expand from there." So it began to make a little bit more sense because these other students. So, so I'll tell you, it was his parents for sure, and then the other African American students that were there that were just you know a whole. They'd gone to all these prep schools and all these other places 
Um, and then there were, you know, another core of guys and women like me that were trying to figure it out. Just find that community, man. Yeah, awesome. Sir. All right, so we want to jump into to, uh, what we call in the game, uh, talk about kind of what you're doing now. And we really want to, because it, it's funny, a lot of people haven't heard about um, the Global Sports Institute. So if you could just tell us, well, our listeners and, and us, how it started and um, just what the overall goal for the Institute is. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's, four, it's four years new. So, uh, you know, a lot of people may not have heard about it. And it's it's based at Arizona State University, funded by ASU and Adidas. So that's thus the Adidas Distinguished Professor title, which you you said better than you did my last name. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I, so the how it started is, is, you know, maybe the most interesting part. So I mentioned Ray Anderson, and this is you know, another story for, for kids. Um, uh, you know, Ray, as I see, Ray was actually my host coming out of, out of Dorsey. He was already at Stanford, and okay. he was my host as I visited Stanford. So I met him, you know, when I was you know in high school, and um, Ray ended up going to to Harvard Law School. I ended up going to law school. Years later, he calls me up. I'm at at Wharton, um, still you know practicing a little law, and he says. Now, I, I need to sell my sports agency. He had this big sports agency. Will you represent me in the sale to to actually to Octagon? So I did this this work for him. And, you know, kind of out of the blue, Ray and I were in touch, but not not on a regular basis. So then uh, Ray ends up with a job at the Falcons, a chief administrative officer, and then the league calls him. And both those times he says, will you help me with my contract? So, you know, fast forward, it's 25 years total later. He says, hey, uh, I'm getting ready to leave the league. I'm looking at being the athletic director at Arizona State University. Will you negotiate my contract? Okay. So, yeah, sure. So I, in the process, I meet the president of Arizona State, and he says, uh, inappropriately, <laughs> he says, what would it take to get you here? And I said, man, I'm not coming to Arizona State. And you know, so we, we finished Ray's deal. All over and a couple of weeks later, Ray called him and said, no, that guy was serious. He he wants you to think about coming down. I said, I'm not going. What am I going to do in Arizona? So uh, the president calls me up again and says, you know, well, I want you to whiteboard to think about what kind of sports research institute doesn't exist in the world. Wow. Whiteboard it, create it, and uh, I don't care if you do it or not. I just want to know what it would look like. You know, come as a consultant and and we'll see what it goes. And it was a, a, almost a two, three year process of, of building this thing out that, you know, the question became, what can the most impactful enterprise be um, that's a research focused sports institute? So um, we said, let's let's do things like ask questions like, is Gatorade better than water? Should your kid play with a concussion? Does the Rooney rule work? Should your kids focus on one sport? Kind of all these kinds of questions that are there and then if if the research isn't being done at Arizona State, if we can't do it, where is it in the world that it, that, it, that it can be done? And so we got this funding to do it. So for our, through our publication, Global Sport Matters, you can find four years of these kinds of questions being answered and looked at. And we started doing bigger field studies, you know, uh, those, you know, it, it 
the, the initial plan was not to lean too heavy on on race, but you know the, the leader leans on race a lot, so we end up talking about a lot of race issues. So we we just have coming out a, a study on uh, women's basketball coaches in college. Who are they? How they get there? What's the you know a lot of the stuff we do is the shape of the river. What's it take to get there? And uh, who gets there easiest? Who has the hardest time getting there? What are the differences in qualifications? So a lot of stuff on uh, NFL head coaches. We just did a thing on MLB managers, you know, to, to look at the idea of, um, you know, I, I had written a book 25 years ago on uh, in black and white race in sports America, it's called. And at the time I wrote the book, there were three African-American managers in baseball 25 years ago. Um, I think Cito, Dusty, and I forget who, who the, the third was at, at the time. And now here, 25 years later, there's there's two. I mean, it's just just amazing to look at this stuff. But but to see, especially back then, you had to be um, a major league player to be an African American to 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 manage in the league. So we looked at all those kinds of differences, uh, and, and we're continuing to look at those differences as, as we do research. But that that's that's what it is. We we try to answer those questions. So it's it's research. Um, we do educational stuff. The lesser degree, we we did uh, we've done two years worth of a, a course called the business of basketball for the G League Ignite players um, up in Wal- Walnut Creek all, all during the pandemic. But you know, it's only only uh, a handful of players. But here, the guys coming out of high school and talking to them about the business they're about to get into and understanding the business of sports and especially their business, and also you know kind of backhandedly trying to give them exposure to college. Uh, you know, if it doesn't work, college is not bad. You can do stuff like learn sports administration or something. So here's here's an entree for you. Here's a chance to get a credit. And then, um, you know, you might be able to come back. And I'll tell you that that, that uh, 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 two of the top uh, draft picks uh, were in that G League Ignite, Ignite class. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, and playing very well, man. In your research, some of the questions that you brought up are, you know, um, probably probably make people uncomfortable about some of the answers that, that you're coming <laughs> up with. So how do you identify some of those questions that are uncomfortable to some? Um, and, and I guess getting all the information out and, and, and finding those answers to those questions. Yeah, well, that's that's part of the part of the uh, part of the deal is to find. I have a, a team of uh, I don't know. We got about a dozen people that, that work at the institute now. You know, kind of you know, foolish time, and uh, we have these brainstorming sessions trying to figure out what should we look at next. And we have a editorial calendar mapped out with uh, these field studies and the kinds of things that we should look at going forward. So you know, so we've got uh, basketball head coaches on the horizon. We've got, we're trying to figure out, you know, some of these things are tougher to figure out how to do. Yeah. Well, high school, um, you know, some of the data is just just impossible to get your arms over, but, but high school athletic directors, you know, what, what impact does that have? I mean, one of the questions we want to want to go further on, which we, we all think we know the answer to, is if there's a, a black college president and a, a, a black athletic director, are you more likely to have black head coaches uh, in, in, in the bigger sports or not? You know, I think we all have an, you know, assumption that's it. That's what you, you know, you don't have the black president of Arizona State, but you have the athletic director and then you, you've got 
Um, uh, you got Herb, the head football coach, and then we mentioned Stanford. You got black athletic director. You got uh, you, you got David Shaw there, and, and, and Maryland. You know, so so you, so it's, you know, so there, there's some evidence that that there is something too. But what about women? If you got a woman in charge, you know, what does that do? Uh, that whole affinity issue, you know, and it's you know, as we try to find other ways to explore those kinds of issues uh, besides uncovering you know, Washington football team emails to see what, what's really going on. You? Oh, I, yeah, I, do. I, I wanted to follow up on that, man. Cause there was, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was something that you said, I saw in the interview earlier about um, athletes being paid in, in, in sports and college athletes um, and how you would like to see some of the ship, the focus shift to athletes completing their degree. Right. Um, with the rules, changing now that they're able to, you know, uh, name, image, and likeness. Um, I guess just where's your stance on it and, and you know, and how's that sentiment uh, for you still? Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had a problem, you know, in my in my adult, more knowledgeable life with, with athletes, college athletes being paid or receiving some form of compensation and n- nothing wrong with it. The, f- the first book I wrote was called Agents of Opportunity, and, you know, this is when I was really, you know, I'd, I'd gone from this this kind of not so much of a student to really, I was buried in the library all the time. And when I got the pen, you know, somebody said, well, to get tenure, you got to write, write, I'll even say obscure stuff, but you got to write books, you got to do research. I said, okay. My, my wife was uh, uh, in training to be a physician, she's doing an internship, an anesthesiologist. She's up early in the morning, just me and her had one car. So we go in, I go in, you know, five, five thirty in the morning. I'm reading all this stuff. So I found myself in um, the the Penn Museum has a library, and in there they had books on um, ancient Greece. And there was a, a book in there by this guy, David C. Young. It's called The Ancient Myth of Greek Amateur Athletics. And, and I start reading the book. And this is this is before everybody had really called out amateurism. amateurism. I, sometimes, sometimes I get I get you know I say wait a minute I found this I didn't find it first but I was be ahead of some of these other folks that are, are claiming now this is this is 1988 I'm okay. you know reading this up and and he says um, not only did ancient Greek athletes receive payment for victory in sport. Uh, via gold, gold wreaths, amphoras of oil, sort of go through all this whole list of stuff. He has these charts in there, you know, charts talking about the value of these things back then. And I'm reading this this stuff, you know, 6 a.m. <laughs> and uh, then he has this line in there. He says, not only did did they get paid for everything, that there there was no such thing as a uh, amateur moment or or Olympics where there was no compensation. He said, as a matter of fact, in ancient Greek, there is no word for amateurism. So, so I read that. I said, wow, this, this is something. So I actually called call this, guy, this guy up. He, you know, I'm okay. sure he's passed away now. You know, this is part of research. So let me talk to this guy. Yeah. And I said, well, man, why why did you do you know, Everybody else is saying amateurism is this purity and this and that. Why, why did you write this? And he said, you know, kind of crazy line, but things you remember. He said, uh, because I got tired of seeing all this blamed on all those poor dead Greeks. I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm not worried about the, the poor dead Greeks, but I remember him saying that and I said, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm a stick with this. So so uh, 
you know, so as, as I as I started doing uh, more and more work on it, so I, I wrote wrote that that book to to talk about uh, it was okay for athletes to re- receive some greater compensation because at the time the biggest problem in college sports was probably the corruption with agents, mm-hmm. and part of the thought was that agents are able to provide money to athletes because the opportunity is there to do so agents of opportunity. So if you could somehow provide some resources to them, this could kind of squash this, this, uh, not even legal activities against the NCAA rules activity and what's going on. So that was kind of the, the, the journey that got me to this whole place of, of for sure it's okay to provide compensation and it's probably a good thing. And I think we're seeing some of that with, with NIL, you know, it's just, it's all going to play out. And, you know, I think we, we can jump the gun and call it, call it too soon, but it's just, you know, just open up the marketplace. It, it's providing an opportunity uh, for, you know, folks that, that want to make some more money to, to make some, I heard the average, you know, income on, 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 on men and women getting in, it's like $36 right now. So it's not a big deal, but some people are figuring away, make a big deal and it'll be a bigger deal for some, but if, if it's $36 that they didn't have, have. Yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. All right, MH, you want to hit him with the quick hits? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, uh, Ken, at time uh, that you were starstruck, if ever. Oh, you know, <laughs> I'll do a one, one's tellable. I don't know, you know, be careful. About uh, <laughs> uh, Ollie, Ollie for sure. Ollie, Ollie for sure. Oh, that's a dope. And, awesome. um, you know, and I, you know, in the same place with him a few times, but but really had a a, a closer encounter with him uh, at the '84 Olympics, and he was and he was just just clowning with me. He, uh, I ran the the boxing competition, and uh, what was that? Twenty seven, twenty eight years old. So, you know, we had all this kind of lightweight security compared to what we had today. Um, and I got a call on the radio, think about that, saying, hey, we got a problem at the at the front gate. So I go to the uh, to the front gate and I see Don King hair kind of everywhere, <laughs> waving American flag. I'm in America. <laughs> big kind of yeah, entourage of, of people, and they're just walking in. And th- think about that. It's you know, it's before all this crazy stuff. But in the midst of the crowd, here, here's Ali. I mean, so they're they're walking in with all eight, and I and and I will tell you, you know, I, I you think about moments when you you hesitate for I, I'm, I'm sure I I hesitate whatever I could have done to stop this onslaught. So, Ali standing behind me says, "Hey, you security, you know the way I'm not gonna do my impersonation. But you you security." And I turn around, and he's gone. I mean, he, he, you know, he's old guy. This way, he, he moved around. So he, uh, his job apparently was to distract the head guy. So then he does a little thing with his, again, I can't see him in fingers in my, my ears kind of, and I, you know, how you turn, he said, what was that noise? I turn, he's gone again. The next thing I turn around and he's right in front of me. And he says, Hey brother, it's me, Ali. (laughs) I'm I'm still, I still don't know what to say. I said, Ali is, is messing with me. And next thing I know, I mean, again, a whole lot of circumstances, this entourage 
um, led by Don King, they make their way down to the, the front row and they're all seated at ringside. And I, to this day, I still don't know why were these seats open? How did this happen? Um, so, the, so that's probably the one story I should stick with. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, I, but you know, you, you see the starstruck. I think that's that's really that's really what it was in that moment. Yeah. That's definitely one. So, yeah. Uh, a favorite book, um, and, and why did that book speak to you? Man, I you know I I'd, I'd say most most recent book. Uh, uh, so one of my favorites, because I, I can go on and on on, on books. And it's not even that that uh, that that recent, but it just uh, resonates. And and I you know, I end up recommending it a lot. But but the warmth of, warmth of other sons, the, the Isabel Wilkerson book about the uh, migration of African Americans, uh, um, you know, from the South to the North. And, and there's one story in particular in in the book about a, a brother that finds his way to LA. So as I read that story, I think about, I think about my family and how they yeah. found their way to the, from the, but, but the, but there's a great, the great line in there that, that I, you know, I use a lot. I give her complete credit for it. Um, and you think about all that we, as a people were going through to decide to get out of those places that you'd been to forever. Mm-hmm. And, and she, she writes, sometimes the best form of protest is just to leave. I mean, just, you're so deep that you, sometimes the best form of protest is just to leave. And, and that's what so many of those, those folks did just, just got out. Um, and, and that ultimately sometimes that's, that's what you have to do. Wow. Nice. Wow. So for somebody that's done a lot in sports, do you have a bucket list or something that you want to accomplish that you haven't done or that you want to do? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it is next. <laughs> well, you know, no, no. Uh, that's that's a, no, no. I've been to Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Super Bowl, World Series. So that's all that kind of stuff is pretty, uh, pretty covered. Uh, you know, and I'm not. You know, I'm told the Ali story, but you know, meeting people is not. You know. Um, you know, unless it's good people, you're just going to have a good time with them. But, but you know, I, you know, I've always want to meet somebody. I don't, I don't have that, that either. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, uh, um, yeah, I'm not like, but I think about, you know, like Jackie Robinson's last public words. I mean, you just want to see more of us in positions of power. Yeah, that, that's what I want to see, see in sports is, um, you know, I don't know how how we do it now. The franchises cost so much, but but more African American ownership. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's a uh, you know that's, that's one thing that I've been trying to do some some work with. I don't have the money to do it, but but is is there uh, is there a way or, or is there you know somebody with the money that that would has that aspiration that we can get more? Because that that's the ultimate to me. That's that's ultimate ultimate answer. To so many of these questions, if if it happens, you know, we can't just rely on you know one Bob Johnson couldn't do it all himself, and yeah, whatever unique issues he has, and and Magic has kind of a different kind of role where, where he is. But if if we had more of a, a presence and we're in more of those rooms, uh, I think less of this foolishness that happens would happen. Absolutely. Give me a a, a favorite food that you probably couldn't live without. 
Well, <laughs> that's that's probably harder than favorite book or. <laughs> Oh man, you know, and and when when you think about favorite food, you think you know, I, I go almost immediately to food my mother made. Yeah, and macaroni yeah. and cheese. And, and so, yeah, <laughs> I thought I thought you were asking me. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he, he started having flashbacks. He's already thinking about Thanksgiving and <laughs> yeah, Thanksgiving. But you know, um, and and I you know almost never eat it now either. And, and you know, excuse me. Uh, uh, almighty race. I'm not trying to set us back, but I'm going to say it out loud. I mean, fried chicken. <laughs> let's, uh, let's be honest. <laughs> and no one else will turn it down right now. Yeah. At all. That's it, and, yeah, last one. And you might have already touched on it. Your favorite historical uh, sports figure. Yeah, yeah. You know what? There's um, you know, the new one emerging with me. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ollie, Ollie is is the is the easy one, but there's this this brother, uh, Octavius Cato, and I think he died in 1871, but he was a Negro leaguer, and and I've been trying to figure out, you know, this whole thing about who who was the first athlete to. Uh, to protest about you know social kinds of issues, okay. And um, he he was he was a Philadelphian, and he's a real activist in terms of, of voting rights. And um, I got I got to you know so you catching me midstream and, and learning more about him, but um, it it if I have it right, he got killed in protesting for voting rights. In, in Philly, and they they erected a statue in Philly uh, of this of this guy Octavius Cato, and and I you know I just want to find out more about him because I'm always trying to think of the, the first you know I, sometimes I say Jack Johnson's the first one he you know, kind of protested he's free you know he's I'm dating white women I'm doing all the stuff I want to do so he's kind of protesting by virtue of of, of being free but I think this this brother might be somebody to uh, to take a, a close look at. That's awesome. All right, so I uh, want to jump into the uh, winner circle, man. This is where we talk about, you know, some of the things you got going on. And, I mean, you do have a lot. Um, you, you touched uh, quickly on the women's um, in college basketball, and you actually have something coming up soon. I mean, you got, already started the research, but do you want to just kind of briefly highlight that and what's uh, what you guys are doing with that research? Yeah, so that research is coming out, and um, and I think it's – it's uh maybe it's next week I should I should have this you know I'm coming on on a show I should have all my information in front of me but we're doing a uh, we call them GSM lives so we're doing a, a live uh, uh, conversation with uh, some great leaders in women's basketball about the study uh, and about what's going on there so so that'll be coming up pretty soon and we kind of do that combination of things we do these studies. And, and then we have these conversations uh, about them and try to have an impact in that kind of way. But ultimately, we put out these things that are called, you know, best practices, trying to trying to make sure people know what's going on. We've got uh, two polls that'll be coming out pretty soon. Um, one of them's on name, image, and likeness, and uh, what do people think about it now that it's underway? And you know, kind of same kind of questions you're asking me about. You know, are you still really, you know? not not happy with athletes getting compensation 
we got one which you, you know it's taken us a long time to try to analyze this but very interesting questions a poll that we conducted that look at um does a team's engagement in terms of of hiring uh diverse people you know black hispanic whatever um in as front office people uh taking tickets you know as vendors and otherwise if you know about that kind of stuff, does that influence your affinity to the team? Are you more likely to spend money with the team if you know they're doing the right thing in that space? Um, or or do you stay away from a team if, if they're not? So we're trying to figure out ways to, to explore that question with a national poll. And, and part of it is, you know, some of, of what we do when we look at these things is, you know, we know that everybody's not down with the the moral case for increasing uh, the presence of people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also try to provide for those who need it. The business case. The business. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and then just kind of a question on that. Are you looking to um, a lot of uh, the female basketball coaches are all men, you know, is yeah. that part of the study as well? Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. For sure. Cause, cause it's uh you know the, the the great work that somebody did right after the uh, uh, right after Title IX passed. Uh, there's a, a guy uh, who's a he's a professor down at University of New Mexico Law School, a, a brother, Alfred Matthewson. He wrote this this law review article not too long after that. Greatest title in the world. I forget what the title was, but it was the last piece of it was the function at the junction. Right. And, and basically what he was saying was, you know, you got this new law in place and you thought it was going to help women. But guess who's the number one recipient of the benefits of having more women's basketball teams where somebody's getting paid? It's white men. And then guess who's second? It's white women. And guess who's being left behind at the, at the junction? It's it's black women. So it's all these years later. And then that's kind of what our, our, our study looks at. And it is very much the, the same thing. Um, so, right. so, so, you know, and, and why is that? What are the different qualifications? But one thing that we found um, in, in this women's basketball study, in athletic director uh, studies, we've looked at to see who gets the job and why is that uh, overwhelmingly black women have more degrees, more doctorates and that sort of stuff before they get these jobs than anybody else. I mean, they're, they're the most overqualified before they, they can, can get the job. So so that's something to, I think, put out there more so people know. And, you know, it, it, if we give anybody the benefit of the doubt that's doing this kind of hiring, is, is to say, you know, I'm not a big believer in unconscious bias, but to say, hey, have an awareness that this is what's going on, um, that that if you're looking for uh, the black woman to have a PhD and you let the white guy come with, with the high school diploma and a lot of experience, Right. You're doing something wrong. You need to look for, for black women that have that same level of experience as well. Oh, that definitely makes sense. So something we've done on the show and, you know, we touch up, we were kind of doing a series, you know, when certain topics come on and I've seen you've done variations of it through the Institute, but we, we uh, do segments called state of the black athlete. And as a general question to you, where do you think we are state of the black athlete? Right. And I know there's so many topics of angles you could go, but just, I guess, encapsulate maybe an overall, like, where do you think we are um, currently? 
overall, definitely in a better place than than we've ever been. It's kind of an interesting moment, though, to ask that question because also, uh, especially with college athletes, I am wondering. We had all this activity, you know, last year plus, uh, even before George Floyd, but certainly post George Floyd, mm-hmm. and just wondering how much of that activity has been squashed because these men and women are saying, I don't want to mess up my NIL. I mean, how many of them are doing kind of a modern day Jordan kind of move on, on not being that engaged and stuff. So, so I think it's too early, too early to tell, but I think that's something, something to, to keep an eye on, uh, right. The way to get paid is to be raceless and apolitical. That's kind of the old, oldest model you know jack nicholas and arnold palmer that's kind of you know so it's nothing we're not doing anything anything unique um but but i do think that that uh you know led by uh lebron kind of showing the way on you know if you are successful you can step up and and continue to get paid there there is a good model for uh you know everybody may not agree with everything he does or says for whatever reason many people still don't don't like the way you know him to win for whatever reason uh right. but but I, I think he's really been a, a a great model in terms of like this is this is the level you can can get to and and it's uh uh and i think we got you know the one other thing that i think is is a a, a new day that, that we do need to watch and i hope it goes on a positive path and, and doesn't turn out to be something negative is and I'm, I'm an advisor to some of these things too it is the overtime elite it is the the team ignite and the g league it, it's all these new opportunities for for high school players and you know and i remind people you know for anybody that, that kind of flinches right away when i say it i mean overtime elite is right 27 27 guys and, and i you know I'm, I'm confident there's 27 guys in the world who should take the shot to to have this be the path for their life. But over time, elite, if, if it stays structured the way it is, you get an education while you're focused on the sport you, you want to do. And then you've got, uh, what is it, $100,000 waiting to get you through college if that's what it turns out is the right thing for you. Mm-hmm. The MLB, um, obviously the World Series just wrapped up. I know you guys are doing studies on the MLB. And what, what, what are some of the, the futures um, that you see as far as having more black managers, um, just the game being, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> more, more, you know, popular to in, in our communities. What's the future yeah. of MLB? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm not optimistic mm-hmm. and, um, I'm not optimistic because, well, for a lot of reasons, I mean, you know, and I think we all all have many of them in our minds when we think about baseball. Yes. When we you know, watch this this World Series, we try to figure out: is there a single African American on on the field to play? Is there another brother there besides Dusty? <laughs> you know, at seventy two. Right. Um, and you know, and it's so much happens before you can get there, get there, and and get to the level where you can actually make it to the majors. I've done done some work with Major League Baseball in years past, and and talked to a lot of these these guys about making that decision to play baseball, which is is you know, more the exception that you know you come to that that point in high school where you get um, this 
this football scholarship. Now you can get NIL and all this sort of stuff. And mama wants you to go to school as opposed to you're going to play in, in the backwoods somewhere for a few years, even if you, you're one of the lucky ones to, to get a nice size bonus, which can, can, can kind of uh, steer you that way. Mm-hmm. But what's happened with, with baseball is, is the kind of training that's required now is like tennis and golf. Mm. And it's just not, it's not what it used to be. The, the, the first uh, couple of dozen African-American hall of famers were all, you know, ex, you know, Mays, Alabama and Hank Aaron, a couple were from the South, but most of them were from big, big cities, most of them from big cities. And in those big cities, we don't have the the diamonds and baseball programs anymore like we did when they were were there. I mean, so so if you find ways to bring baseball back, you know, maybe it can develop some more. But I think that at the heart of it, um, you don't have uh, the kind of activity that you need to have going on um, at the MLB headquarters. You know, at one point I was able to highlight, and I, I think I, I may may be able to start doing it again. That they don't have the page. They may have the page now. And I, I need to go back and look at. They used to have a, a, a page talking about the C-suite at Major League Baseball, and for a long period of time before we started calling them out, it was all 40, 50, 60 year old white men. And and then they they moved uh, Tony Regan's up in there, who's in charge of, of baseball development. They brought in a woman who's no longer there, uh, so she's not there anymore. African American woman, and, there, and there's another. A white woman that, that's that's up in there now to diversify it a little bit, but it's just you know to to say the things that you said is Rob Manfred about the tomahawk chop and we know local markets and this and that, mm-hmm. and not just recognize it's racist, uh, and and do the appropriate things to try to move forward, and to have an organization like the like the uh, the Braves, which is unfortunate. I mean, I was kind of watching the last couple of games that were there when you had chop this and chop that, and they, they kind of embraced that, that whole thing there, which, you know, if you're really serious about making it more attractive to, to diverse people, you move away from that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I think, you know, baseball to me is um, in, in so many ways at the bottom rung of the, you know, if we think of the, the big four or five sports, baseball's, uh, you know, it's it's a sport that's gone from the high of nineteen percent African Americans, and now we're down to seven seven percent. Uh, you know, not that you know, we have to play sports, but if you know something, something's wrong, if there's been that much decline. Absolutely. All right, so wrapping it up here, um, this is where we call the assist or the coaching gym. This is where uh, you can um, share like a life philosophy, word you live by, or something you would tell your younger self. But just um, um, leave us um, with the coaching gym. Lift everybody up. I mean, reach back and, and, and lift up. Just, just uh, you know, I know how fortunate I am to have the the success that I've had. I'm, I'm in trying as up, but I'm still out here doing stuff to to bring along is uh, uh, many folks that might not traditionally get the opportunity as, as I can. Um, you know, I, and at the same time, try to try to treat other folks the right way too, which uh, you know you can't. I don't think you'd have a, a, a kind of a, a consciousness to to harass people like major league baseball, mm-hmm. if you're not trying to do right, right yourself, even in your own little world, I don't have the same power that they have, but trying mm-hmm. to do right within that. I love it. MH final thought. Mr. Kim, man, thank you for lifting us up and, and being a part of this show, man. This has been an absolutely pleasure. 
uh, to speak with you. I probably could feel like I could talk to you for two more <laughs> hours, man. So yeah. I, I really appreciate it. And we didn't even get into the books, man. I, I know. <laughs> like 12 books out there we didn't get to touch. Yeah. So, you know, definitely, you know, as time progresses, maybe we can have you back on. We would love to have you back on. And uh, just definitely want to thank uh, Mr. Kenneth Shropshire. Let's go. <laughs> and we want to thank the, you, the people, for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. Um, you know, new shows drop every Thursday. Please subscribe to us on YouTube because visual representation matters. Subscribe and listen to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please stay safe, practice gratitude, and know we're rooting for you. Screaming, all us blacks got a sports and entertainment until we even. Assuming you're rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Yeah. 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 Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. Spat about two racks on handmade new rags. Assuming I'm rooting for everybody that's black. I serve everybody from sports to college class to rap and back.